Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am glad we're going to spend some time together. Do you have a fearful heart? I know that's kind of a bold, right-up-front question, but if you have anxious feelings, and sometimes you feel like those anxious anxious feelings are getting out of control and maybe not getting any better, maybe today uh, we can collectively say, let's start replacing our fears with faith and reduce some anxiety, and let's find freedom in God's care and his character. I'm going to have a chance to talk uh, to Stephen Arterburn. He's written a wonderful devotional called 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. He's the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries, which is the nation's largest faith-based broadcast counseling and treatment ministry. He's got uh, more than 10 million books in print, and he's a nationally known public speaker and best-selling author. He's on our studio line. Steve, welcome. Well, thank you. It is so good to be with you. And uh, I love getting to talk to your audience. So thanks for having me on. I yeah. hope that we can provide some help here. Well, yeah, I know you can. And I think you can't have a more topical book than right now uh, dealing with the, the sense that people hmm. have anxiety, they have anger, and we need freedom from it. So uh, yeah, good timing, Steve. Well, you know, um, I think that anybody that isn't experiencing a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of fear, uh, maybe not be aware of what's going on in the world. So I'm just saying, I think it's, it's natural. And, and it's, you know, if you're walking down an alley and you see a shadow coming toward you and it looks like he's got a gun in one hand and a knife in the other, uh, fear will save your life. So, it, you know, there's a place for fear. And also, um, like if you're a little bit anxious about, the future, gas prices, inflation, all of that, then hopefully that little bit of fear causes you to move into preparation, which Mm -hmm. is a great thing. But a lot of times fear is kind of the surface emotion for something that's deeper uh, down inside. And there's there's a reason that there's this free-floating anxiety or just outright uh, panic attacks all the time. And many times that's because something has happened to us that's caused us to be on alert. And, you know, it's really hard to have a wonderful, warm relationship with another person if everything they do might trigger you into alert. So it really uh, does you well to figure out, you know, did something happen to me that that just causes me to overreact like this, you know? And then uh, it could be that I'm so afraid and I let people see the fear, but I won't let them see the anger that's mm. underneath it. And, you know, I um, I was talking to actually a pastor and his wife was saying that this man um, is is just so angry all the time and he's destroying our kids he's such a nice man at church and and I went just the opposite I said well let's look at what's under all that anger and 
he was able to just burst into tears. And I said, what are you so afraid of? And what he was afraid of is that he was going to lose his kids. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to control his kids the way his dad controlled him. So he was just kind of in a survival mode, but he was so open to seeing it. And I think any time we're going to make progress, uh, we have to see what it is, have to see the reality first. There's, there's nothing that's going to be done about something that we refuse to see. Now, a lot of people say, well, we're not given a spirit of fear. No, but fear can be a realistic, protective emotion. You don't want to be living in fear, but you also don't want to deny that, that it's there. And, it's, and then the other thing that that you really have to be dealing with is your anger. Because, you know, the Bible says to get rid of all resentment, bitterness, and anger. It doesn't say, well, unless your husband is not treating you well or, well, your wife is doing something. It says all of it. And what a gift that is to yourself. And it's a gift to your kids. One of the things that Roger Gould said, he says, that everybody knows this. The problems between parents become the problems within the children. You know, they may not listen to you or it may not feel like they're listening to you. I guarantee you they're watching and uh, and they are listening too. Mm-hmm. And they are, are hearing things that frighten them, hurt them, make them wonder about the future, make them insecure. And I'll tell you, it is so worth it to get whatever help you need. A lot of times people think, well, if I get help, it's showing weakness. No, it's actually showing a willingness, a humble willingness that God will honor if you're willing to get some help for something that's obviously impacting you in your marriage and then obviously impacting your kids. Mm -hmm. Steve, is anger... I'm just think I'm just thinking through this right now. Is it mm-hmm. is anger just frustration that's boiled over? Or is I, it I don't think so. Okay. I I've, I know that kind of anger, you know. And you know, there are just days that things just kind of send that tend to pile up and mm-hmm. and you get overwhelmed, frustrated, and you're just angry. You want to hit something or or do a run. Uh, yeah, that's that's one kind of anger. But, you know, there's another kind of anger that can be resolved um, in a grieving and forgiving process. You know, I may not really know, or I've never really looked at what my anger is, but the source might be that my dad was never there for me, or my mother was so hovering or controlling, Mm -hmm. and I was so angry. Well, how do you get rid of that? Well, first, we have to see it. Yeah, that was real. That is what happened. And then secondly, we have to try to grieve whatever we were entitled to that didn't come. You know, every child is entitled to healthy parents, nurturing them, loving them, pouring love into them so that they can have security and grow in adult life. When you don't have that, well, somebody might say, well, look at all you've got. You had to live in a nice house, nice neighborhood. Yeah, but... But you you didn't have this connecting kind of love with the parent. So we grieve that loss. 
we let it go. And what grief does is it, it enables us to move beyond something that hurt. We don't have to relive that hurt every day. Well, once I grieve it and let it go, now I can accept, I can accept my parents. I can accept them and forgive them for being, doing the best they could, but it wasn't enough. I can forgive them. And now I, if I've gone through that, I don't have any reason to be angry at them. And my anger is taking up real estate in my head that God does not want to be taken up by anger. Mm -hmm. And so by forgiving them, it's not a gift to them at all. It's a gift to me. I am free. And so many people, we wrote about this in Take Your Life Back, so many people are still controlled or influenced by somebody that hasn't really been much in their life for 10, 20 years. That's very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephen Arterburn is my guest. His book is 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. Uh, Steve, you talk. You refer to anger as a learned skill. What does that mean? Well, you learn to use it. You learn to use it to uh, distance yourself from others, and you learn, you use it to discount others, and you, some, use it to control or increase and produce fear in other people. And, you know, first you're just angry, and then all of a sudden that anger becomes the, your go-to tool. Well, there there are a lot of other tools that you can go to. And so often we're angry at someone who is really just trying and doing their the best they can, and and they don't have everything they need. Rather than be angry at them, what if I could show acceptance of them? What if I could try to understand them and what they're saying or what they want to communicate to me? Why do I need to defend myself with anger rather than connect with them with love? It's just opposite today, really, is mm-hmm. what you need. And so many people walk right out of that church after they've said all the things that Christians say, and they get right into that angry, controlling place, and and they know nothing else but that. What a sad thing. And, you know, life is such a gift. Well, I can talk to you about that more, but I'm telling you, we need to live the best life because it is one rarest thing in the universe is life. We are a universal anomaly. Why not live it? the way the person who gave it to you wants you to live. Yeah, amen. Steve, you say uh, many times that our anger is driven by broken relationships. How so? Well, if uh, if somebody deserts me, betrays me, uh, ignores me, I, I'm, I'm going to be hurt. And often that hurt leads to anger. I may be angry at myself because I blew it or I, I produced something. Uh, But I might be angry blaming my parents. They didn't prepare me enough. Or I might be angry at the person. But, you know, if I ask a group of Christians about three emotions, if I say, uh, how many of you uh, feel guilt and shame? I mean, tons will raise their hands, you know, because that's, that's what we do. How many of you feel some fear? Yes. But how many of you are really angry? Hardly anybody will raise their hand. And yet, Surveys show that a lot of Christians say that they're saved, but they're not living the way Jesus said to live, forgiving 70 times 7. And sometimes we tell people to forgive, and we expect it to be this instant forgiveness rather than invite them into a process where 
Uh, I look at why I'm angry. I look at the impact that's had on other people, and I make the commitment to do whatever it takes to get rid of that uh, anger so I can truly accept and forgive. So if we're not rushing people to forgive, then we're helping them fully go through a forgiving process that will be very healing for them. Mm-hmm. Steve and is my guest, and we're going to, uh, good thing we have more time with him because I have a lot more questions. And his book is 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety, and we'll be right back. Begin our journey today to replace fear with faith and reduce anxiety and find freedom in God's care and his character. Stephen Arterburn is my guest. His book is called 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. And each of the 100 daily readings provides a short devotional, a key Bible verse, quotes from notable Christian leaders, and some additional scripture for further reflection and a prayer. Uh, Steve, is anger always somehow linked with fear? Well, um, probably not. Um, there is just pure anger because, you know, someone has done something, it has devastated you, and you can't undo it, and it's impacting your life, so you're just truly angry. The, the next phase would be, I'm I'm so afraid it's going to happen again, or that I'm going to lose control some way because of the damage that's done. So it can be connected it can be totally separate but i just think the main thing is if you have it and rather than like let's say in a marriage rather than your marriage is kind of two allies helping each other uh get through life you become uh so antagonistic toward each other that just means you need to get some help and you can live a different kind of life a better life i i hate it when people see things or they can feel the impact that it's having on other people, and then they think, well, i just got to try harder to get this right. I've found that trying harder just makes trying harder. We have to surrender. We have to give things back to God if they're going to get better. And, you know, when I, when I am either angry or I'm afraid, I have a little phrase, and I actually saw a research uh, project a couple of days ago that said this is a good thing we need to teach our kids this but i i just instantly say steve it's going to be okay and then i tell myself why i know it's going to be okay because it's always going to be okay every, every things i was threatened by seven years ago i don't even remember what that was yet at the time you know i thought oh it's the end mm-hmm. but it it's okay. I'm here. I am. I'm doing what I'm doing. So I tell myself it's going to be okay. And then I remind myself that if I will let him, God's got this. God's got me and God has this and I'm going to be okay. You need to say these things to yourself versus spend all your time trying to control somebody or an organization or whatever. That's just going to cause you more fear and anxiety, and more anger, because you can't control 
other people. You can't control the um, the organization. You know, one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard, and it's really I've tried to refute this, uh, but I never can. It just seems like it's it's always true. And it was uh, Bill W. wrote this. He said, um, "Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today." You know that. That acceptance isn't, I accept that I'm helpless and hopeless. No, I'm going to accept responsibility to do whatever I need to do, and I'm going to do it no matter how uncomfortable, and then I'm going to pray that God will do whatever in the world I cannot do. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do, and that can be a real game changer for people if they'll just do that. Mm-hmm. Stephen Arterburn is my guest He's written a book called 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. Let's talk about unresolved anger. What happens if we fail to address it properly? Then what? You know, a lot of people, um, one thing that happens, and they don't understand it quite, but uh, it makes them sick. You know, um, they, David, when he felt guilt and shame, that emotion had a physiological impact on him. He said, my bones waxed old in my silence. If we're not sharing things and we're not open about things, we don't bury them dead. We bury them alive and we feed them with food, alcohol, drugs, anger control, all of this stuff. And so we can really get sick and not even know why. Um, If we do shameful things, if we do uh, hurtful things, and we don't ever share. We don't ever open up about it. It really can make you very sick. Then the other thing is it's going to impact someone you love. It's going to impact them. Your behavior is going to have an impact. And um, it it may cause the divorce. It may cause the insecurity that the children just can't handle right now. Um, so it's always in our best interest to say, is there a problem? And if there is, what is the resource that I need? Or if I see it in my kids. What is the resource that they need? And a lot of times we're afraid to do something other than more Bible study, more prayer, more discipline. But in reality, it's the thing that we need to do. You know, once you see something, now you can talk about it. You can be open about it. Uh, Barbara Johnson years ago said, uh, we're only as sick as our secrets. Well, I'll tell you, our secrets can really make us sick. And I, I just have always been fortunate enough to have somebody in this world that I could share my feelings and emotions with and, and so that I don't get sick over unresolved things. Mm-hmm. Resolve it by seeing it and opening up to somebody and taking responsibility and resolving it in whatever way you need to. And a lot of times a little help from somebody who knows how to help you can make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Steve Hodd, what are some healthy ways that you release your anger? Well, I'm I'm not an angry person. And in fact, the other day, uh, I was in the kitchen doing something, and I, I raised my voice at one of the kids, and they started laughing at me because it's just not who I am, and I'm grateful for that. But if I'm frustrated, I do one of two things. I say, hey, let's let's just take a break, and, and I try to leave, take a walk, do something. And the thing about self-regulation, it's one of the greatest skills ever, and we many times we don't even talk to our kids about it, 
But you need to have self-regulation. You need to be able to restrain yourself. Words matter. And I, if I'm saying things out of anger that are hurtful, hey, come on, uh, let's get some help for that. But in the meantime, tell yourself, I need to regulate this. I need to modulate this, and I need to remove myself if I can't do it. But taking a break, uh, taking a walk, and um, is always a great thing. Then you can kind of yell and mumble at yourself and come back in and be free. But then you ought to say, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want that to be a habit. Uh, I need to get some additional help. And, you know, people call 1-800-NEW-LIFE all the time. And the only reason they call is because their anger has gotten out of control. And somebody has said, you need help. Mm. And getting that help for you or a family member can be one of the greatest things ever. I married, uh, my wife is a resourcing person. And every time somebody in our family has needed something, she's found that resource that they needed. And as a result, um, we, we, we just are so happy that our kids are loving, they love each other, and, and we, ha- we really enjoy being together. And I really believe that that's possible for anybody if you're willing to get the right resource. And it's hard, difficult, there are a lot of things online these days that don't cost anything. You ought to try those things versus just thinking, I got a man up here and or woman up, and I got to get this taken care of. It, it's really hard to do. You need that humble uh, spirit of surrender to make a change and make mm-hmm. a difference. We just have two minutes left, uh, Stephen, so maybe I would ask, uh, what, what role does disappointment have in anger? Mm. Well, so many people have realistic expectations, and then they're with someone who really uh, is just totally opposite of who they thought they were going to be with or marry, and and so that disappointment can be so painful. Other times we have unrealistic expectations, and then the dream doesn't come true because the person can't create a miracle in their life, And, and so now we've got these unresolved expectations, and we're putting this pressure on the other person. All of that is anger-driven frustration, and you, you know, you go from, like, feeling like a victim to, uh, to this, this drama triangle of persecuting the other person, trying to change them or rescue them, and you have to step out of that. You have to say, I'm not going to live like mm-hmm. this anymore, and yeah. if you do, there's hope. Well, let's have let's have you back. Uh, this is there's way more to talk about. This is a great start. Stephen Arterburn has been my guest. Hundred days to freedom from fear and anxiety. Steve, thanks for doing the show. It's really been nice to, uh, hearing about your book, and you have great wisdom. Well, you do a great job, and I'd love to come back and talk again. Thank you I'd so love much. Love to have you, Stephen Arterburn. Again, has been my guest. Hundred days to freedom from fear and anxiety. It's a daily devotional. It's got about a hundred daily readings. It provides a short devotional. With some key scripture some notable quotes, and a time for reflection and prayer. So it's all good. Take a break. When we come back, Toga Time, Dr. Peter Kaffner. Let's get it started. 
All right, this is a time I'm looking forward to because it is toga time. What is toga time, you ask? Well, let's see. First, uh, the book of Corinthians, First Corinthians was written probably around eighty fifty five. So the whole premise of toga time is let's be residents of Corinth in AD 55. And what would the words of Paul sounded like to us at the time? And that's the uh, the topic, that's the, the goal of this uh, Toga Time series. And Dr. Peter Kapschner is our fearless leader in this endeavor. Peter, hey. Hey, yeah, no, well said. It's fun to think about uh, how maybe they would have been hearing these of words course. when Paul wrote this letter. And we're, I mean, we can at best approximate it. It's 2,000 years later, but I think there's a lot of faithful scholarship that helps us kind of time machine our, back, our way back into those congregations. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul wrote his first letter to uh, Corinthians in, in sort of an attempt to restore the Corinthian church. Yeah. It, it was having uh, foundational problems and all kinds of doctrinal issues, wasn't it? It really was. That's going to be a part of the theme of okay, what we, we draw out today. We're only going to be able to deal with maybe maybe the first three verses of okay. chapter one. But embedded in those verses, I think we're going to tease out exactly what you just said, which is that this is very much a confrontative letter. This is not necessarily, it, it will turn out to be an encouraging letter, but there's some pretty significant issues going on in that city of Corinth. It, it, we mentioned when we did the overview of the letter that it really was a Pirates of the Caribbean kind of town. It was a very busy city of commerce. People from a lot of different backgrounds had a lot of different opinions about a lot of different things and were pretty independent-minded. And and Paul has his work cut out for him, for sure. So we're only going to deal with three verses today, so we're going to buy in bulk and pass the savings on to you. (laughs) I think that's exactly (laughs) what we're going to do. Well, it's, you know, I I think... I don't know what that means. I don't... But but we're going to do it. (laughs) We are going to do it. Independent of me. Because I've already committed to it now. Yeah, you totally did and live on air. (laughs) Yeah, And, and th- you know, it was it was interesting just to sit down with these first three verses. I um, I think I was probably mm, impacted pretty heavily in my twenties by uh, a pastor who really treated each verse as if it truly was God breathed in it the is. way that we that right? we say it is. it is. And and so if that's true, if the God of heaven is actually inspiring all of this this different language of scripture, I don't think he's sitting back and saying, "Meh, that verse was kind of meh." Well, this verse is sort of interesting. Now, that's a big winner, you know, but we treat Scripture that way, I think, a lot of times, right? We kind of categorize it in different sorts of ways and assume that this one is really stuffed with meaning, but this one maybe isn't. But if you really dig into it, you find that uh, Scripture is sort of exegetical lasagna. I mean, it's just got layers upon layers of meaning, and and any verse that seems like it might be kind of a throwaway verse, Mm -hmm. it's crazy what's all in it. And the fact that when you start reading a chapter, you usually rifle through the first three verses because it's just greetings and... And hello, and let's get started, and let's you just kind of get down to the meat. Yeah, and, and we're going to find out really quickly that if we were sitting in that Corinthian community with our togas back then in about yep. 55 AD, that that first verse would have really snapped us to attention in cool. terms of what he said. So we can maybe just read through those first Well, you read verses. it because there's a word in here I can't pronounce. <laughs> Me too. I thought, I thought I won the rock, paper, scissors before. Let's try it. No, you <laughs> lost that one. So I'm gonna, I can't wait for you to say that word. Go ahead. Well, yeah, no chance. Uh, so it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. There you go. That's as close as I can get. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This all sounds kind of nice, yeah. right? Just, Easy, simple, greedy. Yeah, and it's almost like he's getting warmed up, we think. Right, right? but there's meat on that bone, isn't oh, there? Oh, gosh, in verse 1 right away when he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, you would have snapped to attention in that community because right then and there, he, for, from moment one, he is establishing that he is the authoritative voice in the in the room. There, there's a lot of voices of unrest going on in the in this Corinthian community, and many people are questioning Paul's leadership, his qualifications, whether they should even listen to him anymore. So he comes right out of the gate and says, "Let me tell you a little bit about my background." So I'm he, gonna, he just flashed the sheriff badge. He totally did. Yeah, yeah I, and, and, a, and a heavenly one at that <laughs> right. for sure. Because to be an apostle is to be an emissary. He's yeah. saying that he he has been sent by by Christ Jesus Himself, and so basically, what he's saying is, if you take issue with what I'm about to write to you, or as I'm writing to you, as you're reading this letter, if you take any issue with this, this isn't just taking issue with me. You're actually taking issue with God himself. So listen up, because this is uh, this is going to be problematic if you continue to resist. And uh, so that's maybe the first thing that you can note, just in him saying that. He's not trying to give himself titles or, or, or his bona fides. He's just simply saying, God is bringing some stuff to the table, and I mm-hmm. hope you snap to attention. Yeah, listen up. Now... There's another part of that, though, too, that um, when you when you reflect on Paul's journey, right, if we if we look back as to what it meant that he was called by Jesus, and I think many of our, our Faith Radio family is familiar with the story, that he was not Paul at first, he was Saul. And he was somebody in those early chapters of Acts that was very much um, about the killing of the believers and uh, and and really took great zealousness in so doing. So when he was on the road to Damascus on that horse, that's when he met the risen Lord for the first time, and he got knocked off of his horse and given this call then by the will of God, called by Christ Jesus according to the will of God to bring the testimony of the good news to the Gentiles. And I read some really good scholarship in that, that um, right here is reflective where Paul is setting the stage for how he's approaching kingdom life. And he's going to talk about this all throughout his letters, about what it means to be carrying genuine power in the kingdom, because he is establishing that he is the kingdom sheriff in town. He's got the heavenly badge. Mm -hmm. But this is not a badge that is worn by people who have all of the fancy letters and the right pedigree. The power that's been afforded to him was was a hard-earned power. And I think this is where you and I could talk about this for a little bit, where the power was afforded through his intense and profound brokenness and utter failure. When he got knocked off that horse, I mean, if you think about that, we sometimes I think we get really caught up in our own failures in life, and, and we should, but this guy was killing Christians. Like, I don't know where that falls on the continuum and the scale of, of moral failures, but I would imagine it's up there to be to just be wiping out entire people groups, and he gets knocked off his horse, and in that um, that that failure birthed in him a genuine humility. And uh, and it was a humility that uh, then also had confidence with it because God continued to call him despite his utter failure. So this is a man who failed utterly miserably in every possible way in life. But God's amazing grace met him on that road to Damascus and and used him then because now he was usable, not because of his resume and his pedigree, mm-hmm. but because he had failed miserably. And, you know, I, you and I have done we've done guy talk for a number of years, right? And uh, and one of the questions we get from people often is their inability to move past their own failures and their inability to forgive themselves. And, and we get that question a lot. And it almost there, there's a self-loathing, I think, that comes with it for people a lot of times. 
And when I read the commentator who was talking about Paul's sort of understanding of himself, that he had this beautiful combination of extreme humility. It was not self-loathing. It was humility. He knew that there was a different power operating in this world uh, than himself. But it was a humility that also had the extreme confidence that God was still for him, that God rescued him, that God was with him. And that if God was not loathing Paul, why is Paul loathing Paul? And so that whole self-loathing that I think keeps people so paralyzed actually really does a tremendous disservice to the cross because it was it was God's love that came into the midst of our own failure to set us free and to then end up giving us a, a, a new vocation and reestablish us as a people. So Paul is this incredible blend uh, of genuine humility and uh, and authentic confidence to say, if God is for me and all of my failures, this is now the language of Romans 8, mm-hmm. if God is for me... Who's going to be against me? Why would we need to be self-loathing kinds of people? No, we let our failures break us and, and jump into that pool of brokenness like and, and be and be met by amazing grace. That's all in verse 1 because wow. he's going to play that self out later uh, in even this opening chapter. He's like, and by the way, why don't you all remember who you were when you were called to? There's not many wise or noble or mighty according to the things of the flesh. God loves to take the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So when he says, I'm called by Jesus by the will of God, embedded in all of that, he's saying, listen up, this is how divine life in the kingdom works. Uh, only people who are broken can begin to walk within the power of the kingdom. And I'm walking in that and listen to that because you guys are all very confused. Mm-hmm. So Peter, uh, let's, I'm in, I'm in Corinth 55 AD. I've got my toga on. Yep. Uh, complete with leather belt, which is, I'm looking good today. Yeah. You're looking, ex- looking ex- good. exceptional with the belt. And, and Paul shows up and says, I'm called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Am I sitting there going, whoa, 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 wait, is this, isn't that that Saul guy? Isn't that this guy that we don't like that wanted to kill everybody? So, is that what I'm thinking? Uh, well, if word had traveled far enough to yeah. Corinth from some of those early places in Jerusalem and, and into Syria and Damascus, and clearly it probably did, there was a lot of skepticism that this guy was actually trustworthy at this point. And so they they maybe knew him as a, as a zealous Jewish uh, scholar, but probably not because they were Gentiles. Right. They probably knew of him killing people instead. And yet he's saying, this is who I am. I just, I don't think we can emphasize enough that the road to power actually is almost always through our brokenness. And, yeah. and I think it just, I, I've taught in seminary for so many years, we hardly ever teach that leadership in the kingdom starts with brokenness. We, we talk about leadership starting with charisma or with gifts or your ability to brand and market or those sorts of things. I think if you wanted to start a ministry today, start with 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and, and really live in that verse long enough to be where Paul was in his life, having killed people. I mean, th- this is a guy that, 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 Reality was never far from him, I would guess. Mm-hmm. And the fact that bad news travels faster than good news always. Always. So even back then, there could have been very likely that there were people in the village with their togas on going, whoa, whoa, wait, this is that Saul guy who's calling himself Paul now. Yeah. And be confused and be skeptical and, and, and not trust him. For sure. And he's showing up with the big... Uh, the sheriff badge on. He the heavenly sure sheriff is. badge going, I'm I'm here. And, and he has the confidence to do so. Yeah. And not and not like a, a big puffy confidence. No, no, he just no. he just knows God is for him. Right. But then when from that place he can begin to share the actual gospel, the actual good news that in our brokenness and utter failure, there is still hope and love and redemption and future that's coming for you. And and I don't know a person today that doesn't need that actual message. And Paul personified that. So they could have been understandably skeptical and cynical about uh, who he was given his background, but they are now confronted with an actual kingdom of God 
that he has been declared an emissary of Jesus Christ despite his failures um, because he allowed those failures to break him in the way that they did. I mean, this is kingdom life up front and personal and close and what it's like. And and these are unfamiliar paths, I think, for many of us who think that our day-to-day life tends to be, I need to grow stronger and get better and do better and better. And and we try harder and all those things. It's almost always from our places of brokenness that a different kind of power begins to inhabit us. And Paul was representing that right in front of them. It It was very confrontational, I'm sure, for all of them because of the fact that, A, he's an apostle, B, they thought they had it all together, C, they were pursuing all sorts of wisdom, and Paul's like, you're just messed up on every possible level. Mm-hmm. And we're not out of verse 1 yet, and I don't know who Sosthenes is, and I just did a quick uh, search of it, and I just was glancing on some descriptions of him, and I still don't know who he is. Yeah, they don't know for sure. There's yeah. some speculation mm-hmm. that he was somebody that was listed, I think, in Acts chapter 18, uh, potentially. There's two mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and one is in... Um, See, one is in Acts, and the other one's in First Corinthians. Yeah, and yeah. typically, in this, uh, if you read it in a, in a certain translation, you might think that Sosthenes is helping write the letter, and that's not what's going on. He was probably a scribe for the letter, so he was writing down Paul's words. Uh, it's unknown whether he was the actual messenger that then delivered and read it, uh, but Paul would have been probably working in another village at this time and wrote the letter with Sosthenes and sending it to Corinth. Yeah, so brother in Christ, Yep, um, it was either a, a voice or... Or possibly just a scribe. Yeah, okay. most likely a scribe. Yep, yep, yep. And he would have been a guy that was known to the people in Corinth. Yeah, they and, would have known Sosthenes, and they and they would have all. And, and when we get into uh, verse two in just a second, the the churches of Corinth would have all gathered into one central place. And whether he did or somebody else did, they would unfold this letter and read it. It wasn't chapter and verse at this point. It was right. just it was just a very long letter that they were going to sit and read the whole thing. Yeah. Very interesting about Sosthenes. I'd like to learn more about him. Yeah. Um, if he was well-known in Corinth and what we can know about him. We'll take a little break. we come back. We're going to continue. Togo time. Dr. Peter Kapsner. We're in First Corinthians, and we're living like we are in uh, Corinth in A.D. 55. So let's get in that mindset. And sometimes the best way to do that is just put on your toga. We'll be right back. known it is toga time and if you are just joining us toga time is we are all transporting ourselves to corinth in AD 55 and then we're going to be studying corinthians with dr peter kapsner and trying to figure out if we're alive in AD 55 living in corinth how paul's words would have sounded to us and if you are the kind of uh, bible reader that you you open a book and you kind of fly through the first three verses uh, we've got to change that habit because we're already uh, not even through the first verse yet, and we're halfway through the segment already, Peter. Yeah, there's so much there. Like so I said, it's just, it's just packed in, uh, yeah. and and we're only just summarizing a bit. We could have actually carried on for quite some time in that verse, but uh, I think the the theme that we we tried to tease out, like I said earlier, was the idea that. Um, this is a situation where Corinth does need um, quite a bit of admonishment for the way that they've been acting. And and, and so to wrap up verse 1, um, Paul doesn't in all of his letters even say the same kind of language. Like in, in Galatians and First and Second Thessalonians and Philemon, he doesn't reference himself as an apostle. 
He doesn't need to because those are not confrontative kind mm-hmm. of letters. So this, again, gives us some insight that he's setting himself up. It's time to pay attention here Okay, based on what you're saying. So he goes into verse 2 and he says, Now to the church of God in Corinth. And we've talked about this on your show in a variety of, uh, of different uh, formats. But when we hear that word church, again, we always have to keep in mind that we're not talking about he visited the local building with a steeple and a sign and a website and organization and establishment. The, the churches of Corinth would have been a loosely connected um, series of home groups that would have gathered together occasionally if there was a traveling apostle or disciple in town to listen to their teaching. But otherwise, they would have gathered independently mm-hmm. in smaller groups, maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe 30. But they would have certainly then all of those groups would have gathered all together for the reading of Paul's letter to them. So, okay. so and when he says the church of God at Corinth, he's talking about the people who are following Jesus in the town of Corinth that are meant to be shining the light of, of kingdom life and, and the good news of Jesus in that town. But he says the church of God in Corinth. Uh, and then he says this word a little bit later to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And I think perhaps unfortunately, maybe, um, more recently in theological history, if people are familiar with that word sanctification, they tend to place it as part of kind of this threefold process where you have something called salvation, where people um, secure their eternal destiny, and then they have sanctification, which tends to mean for many people uh, that they start growing in their faith, becoming a bit holier, a little bit better at doing their Christianity, and then we await for glorification, which is our new body when we get to the other side. That whole threefold um, way of describing the Christian life is a really recent development within Christian theological history. True or not true, and we're not here to debate, debate the merits of that today. What we know for sure in this passage is that to be sanctified in Christ Jesus the way that Paul is using it is not the same way that I just described it, where you got saved and then you're trying mm. to become holier as you went, went through. Um, this is a little bit too maybe uh, inside the weeds of, of how Scripture works, but um, the Greek has a lot of different tenses that are part of it. And the tense of this language is what's called the present perfect, meaning that they have been sanctified. Whatever sanctified means is it's not a process that's going on in their life. Something has happened to them. And what's happened specifically is that they have been called out as God's people by God himself. He is their present possession. They already are holy, not because they're in some process of sanctification, but because God has declared them as such. They are then his holy people, he describes a little bit later. And and Paul at this point is reminding them that you are meant to be God's chosen people. You're not living that way in the city of Corinth. Uh, you're meant to be called out uh, as as a present possession. And I think what's sort of beautiful about that is, um, again, I was reading one commentator talk about based on their union and faith with Jesus, they were meant to be the very place where heaven and earth intersected. They're the place where God's presence was now made known on earth, meaning that when this church gathered together as the sanctified or called out or God's present possession people, this is where God is operating in the world, in his church, in his people. And and they are meant to reflect and bring his His light and his goodness and his glory in the world. Um, this is such a sacred call. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think about how many times I've gone to a, a church when I think about like as a building or an organization, you know, maybe to, to see some friends or to... Um, get the donuts or to have a good sermon or something like that. Um, the church is meant to be the very place where God intersects uh, with heaven and earthly kingdoms. They're all one. And and they're meant to reflect that way of life amongst themselves as the good news bearers in the world. It, again, is a very confrontative passage for the Corinthians because he's reminding them right then and there, you aren't acting that way. We'll read later on about their their sexual practices and their um, their idolatrous practices and all of what they're doing. 
But I think the point that we can tease out from from verse two is that um, I, I think a lot of us struggle with the process of sanctification insofar as we understand it, because some days we think we're better at it than others. And the Bible is really teaching that you already have been sanctified. You have been called out as God's present possession, and you are meant to live a united life with Jesus um, as part of a people in which that sanctification that has already happened is starting to bleed itself out into the world around you. And so I don't know if that makes sense, um, but instead of me getting up tomorrow trying to act more sanctified to somehow prove my salvation, um, I'm meant to live at the intersection of heaven and earth as I do this life in this world. And and every time we're gathered together as believers, two or three, I mean, Jesus is, is amongst us, we're meant to be that in the world around us. And, and it's natural but supernatural. Uh, it's... It, Again, I don't know, those Sunday gatherings that I attend, I think there's a richness um, that I think we might be missing out on sometimes um, when when this is what we're meant to be, the sanctified holy people. Mm-hmm. In the Greek, when you talk about the tense for the word sanctified, does that suggest a one-time event? It kind of does. Okay. Yeah, it says they've been called out, you know, and, and it's this is, again, I don't want to get too far rabbity trail-wise, but... Um, Salvation um, for the individual versus salvation operating within the community, um, it would have been much more of a communal experience that the rescuing from the powers of darkness that has occurred then allowed God to call out a people who are freed from those powers of darkness, meant to live by the power of the resurrection life in their midst. And, And most, I mean, if we just make it really practical and pragmatic, when you're living in union with Jesus, you begin to just simply operate in love. You you, be, you begin to care about the well-being of other people. You, you become kind and thoughtful and gentle and and um, and patient and filled with joy, like Have an increasing passion. Uh, not very much, you know, right? <laughs> so, but yeah. but that's what we're meant. That's yeah. the we've already been called out and sanctified. Mm-hmm. We've been made holy. Now, just engage in that process. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So we do have some good news coming in verse 3. We do. And that's yeah. going to be all the time we're going to have. Yeah, it really is. So it, you, would, if we were sitting in our togas in that community with maybe 150 people yep. or whatever it was, we really would be kind of on edge at this point. And then Paul just hits them with this beautiful verse 3 where it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's so much going on in there about why he's saying God our Father. And again, we don't have time to get into all of that. Um, but grace and peace, rather than just being this nice little way to address the situation and it kind of flows and, and sounds good, Paul is really actually offering to them uh, a reminder of the bookends of their salvation, that um, grace brought salvation into the world by rescuing them from the power of sin. And because that's true, be at peace. Mm. Just just be at peace. And now we're back to God is for you. Be at I've peace. I've never heard it that way. Yeah, it was brilliant when I was reading through some of this sort of mm. stuff, that, he, that these two ends, it was as salvation is operating among you through the grace of God, um, just simply live within the beautiful shalom and peace. Just embrace it in its fullness. And so I'm going to say some really hard words to you over these next 16-ish chapters or so. But just know, take them in the place of peace. Um, because salvation is operating among you. This is not going to be some big antagonistic thing. It's going to be hard. It's going to be filled with some really difficult straight sayings, but he is making it very clear in verse 3, I am so for you. We are in this together. He said at the end of verse 2, all who call upon the name of the Lord uh, together. And and he's reminding them, you're part of this beautiful, big story. Stop getting so caught up in your little petty controversies. And just please, by all means, be at peace because uh, he's going to remind them all throughout the letter. He has failed miserably in his life. They are failing now, but but grace is coming in the midst of that failure, so be at peace. It's a beautiful um, way that he addresses Yeah, them. I might not stick around for the other 16 chapters. I might just 
stay here. Right. It's it's an easy place. To, it's a wonderful place to be. It is. I mean, can you imagine if, if, if we were anchored in that sort of sanctified, set-apart life as believers together, and when we saw one another, it, we were saying grace and peace to each other, and, and that somehow uh, energized within my being in yeah. a way that I was like, oh my gosh, today, I, meant it. today I need it again. I need to be reminded again that in my failings, grace is meeting me. Where my sin abounds, grace is abounding all the more. So be at peace because God has your back. It's, yeah. it's really a profound passage of scripture. Fantastic study, Peter. Thank you for this. This is going to be a great, great study. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'm looking forward to just going through it slowly. Yeah, it's, it's just a little bit of a different way. There's lots of different ways to go through scripture. I'm somebody who just... Um, When I come to the end of my life, I think I would rather know in depth fewer passages of Scripture because there's so much beautiful kingdom life in in them by which to operate rather than just having a broad knowledge of Scripture. I I want both. I mean, don't get me wrong, but there's something about really digging into these things that makes the kingdom feel real in a different kind of way. It doesn't feel like I'm studying something from afar. It feels like I'm living in the midst of something. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, fortunately, Peter's going to continue to join me because our Sunburnt series continues. And I'm uh, excited to have Daryl B. Harrison as our special guest for the next episode of our Sunburnt series. And we've got some topics that Daryl's brought to us that is going to be a little reflective of our Fourth of July celebration we just had and some reflective thoughts that he has had on that. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Daryl and having a full hour with him. So we'll take a break, and when we come back, our friend Daryl B. Harrison, and I know his middle name, I know what the B stands for, and I'm not telling you yet. I'm just going to hang it out there like a big tease. But we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.